You want to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4? That's where we'll be tonight. Good to be back. Um, as I was going over, since he went right on through chapter three, I was reading up on it. And um, just because obviously I'm picking up in the same spot and, and all. And, and uh, boy, I look at Moses differently now. As I've been uh, teaching for many years now um, and have taught this several times, uh, Moses has just always been that historical figure that was just, oh, wow. I mean, you know, because I remember Charlton Heston. That's how I think of Moses and, I, and, 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 the, and, and the Ten Commandments movie. And, and so then you read the story and you always got the highlights and all. And um, I can really feel Moses's heart. The songs tonight were very appropriate for our next section here in chapter four as God has called Moses to step out by faith and do something that he's asked him to do. See, Moses had stepped out by presumption when he was 40 years old and had decided that this was the time to deliver his brethren from the Roman or from, not the Roman, from the Egyptian yoke. Um, he just got his University of Egypt degree, you know, his doctorate. He's, got, he's been educated. He's been raised up. And um, there's a little self-confidence in Moses. And it didn't work. His brethren didn't believe him. His brethren didn't. That, that, it was easy killing the Egyptian. Of course, the Hebrew guy that ran away said, thanks, man. You know, that was going to go bad. But when it came to the two Hebrews that he uh, tried to stop the fighting amongst his brethren, and they looked at him and said, you're going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian, he realized that they're, they're, not, they're not into this. They're not ready to follow me. And that's where we pick up our story tonight. Moses is still in that same mindset. I'm not sure anybody's going to believe me. In fact, last week when Aaron was teaching, um, that was his first thing. It, you know, so I'm supposed to go to Egypt, and I'm supposed to do this, and I'm supposed to do that. Who am I supposed to say sent me? Because they're going to want to know a name. He's already coming up with excuses. As to, I, I don't know that they're going to believe me. Who is it? Well, I am that I am. I'm the one speaking from a bush. I'm the one that you're supposed to be worshiping. I'm the father, uh, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. You know, You know who I am. They know who I am. And so there's something in Moses that over the last 40 years in the desert, I don't know, I wouldn't say that he's been pouting, but he certainly hasn't let it go. I was ready 40 years ago. That didn't work out. So fine. You know, I washed my hands of the whole deal and he left and he went off and did his own thing. If you know, you don't, you don't want my help, fine, you know. And he went off and took care of sheep, not even his own sheep. Found a good woman, settled down in the desert, you know, walked the Sinai Peninsula, lived in the desert, talked to himself frequently, I'm sure, stared at burning bushes on occasion. But he was done with it. And so 40 years, he's been in that place in his heart. And that's a long time to be someplace to just uproot and get back in the swing of things like you're 41 years old. You know, he's 80. I got a stick. 
I picked up the stick when I first got here, and I'm taking care of sheep, and I'm taking care of goats, and I'm using it to fight off wolves. But more and more, he became reliant on that stick, leaning on it more and more. As I'm getting older, the rocks move, you know, when I step on them. I rolled my ankle I don't know how many times out here, and I don't want to put too much into it, but he's been in a place in his heart and in his mind and in his life for 40 years he's been out of sight, out of mind, kind of thing. But at this particular moment, God says, now is the time. My people have finally cried out. It's time. The 400 years are up. I want to deliver them. I need a deliverer. On Sunday, we alluded to that. There was a deliverer that was raised up. We don't know their name. God raises up deliverers at different times in the nation of his, Israel's history. And in our own, God raises up deliverers. Just people willing and able to be used by God. And he was hoping that Moses is one of those. He wants Moses to be this, this guy. So we sang the song, Stepping Out Into the Waters, talking about uh, relating it, our walk, to Peter's walk, when Peter stepped out of the boat. Do you remember what stumbled Peter? And I think this is very important. I think we knew this. But what caused Peter to begin to sink? He took his eyes off Jesus, but what did he look at? The wind and the waves. I don't know if you've ever seen the Sea of Galilee before. Recently, we came back from Okoboji, Westlake Okoboji. is a wonderful vacation. But the water is as calm as can be at about 5 a.m. It's the weirdest thing. This huge body of water is as flat as a piece of glass. That's the best time to ski, by the way. You get outside the wake and you're slalom. And you make that cut back in. You can hear that water just going... It's just a beautiful moment. You can see about five feet down when you make that arch or arc. It's beautiful. And then you hit the wake and you crash and you fumble and you get water up your nose and the whole thing's ruined. But at that moment, it was great. Jesus didn't ask Peter to step out of the boat when it was glass. He asked him to walk by faith and to step out of the boat and he left the wind and the waves right there for him. See, that's when we get called out. That's when you get called out. That's when God says, I want you to step out by faith and do this great work for me. Not when it's smooth. When it's smooth, you could see Peter coming and testing that, you know, surface tension of the water. Okay, I'm about 250. I don't know how much Peter weighed, but you could see him. Wind and waves, you have no idea. Every time you step, you just hope it's solid, you know. Moses is being asked to step out. At a time when it's not going to be easy, Egypt is used to slave labor. Egypt likes their two or three million under control, doing their work so they can eat grapes, you know? This is going to be a hard sell. And he knows that. Plus, you know what? He's just not that interested in the mission at all. Who am I supposed to say sent me? I am. And that's where we pick up our story here. In verse 1 of chapter 4, then Moses answered, after God gives him this beautiful spiel of all that's going to happen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to tell him that I am, and I'm going to take you out of here, a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, God just lets him know how wonderful the end is going to be. And I would like that personally, if I was Moses. You want me to step out? Do you mind telling me how it's all going to turn out? It's going to be sweet. I mean, everybody's going to have their own vine and so on. So after he gives him all that, 
Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Now we won't stop this often, but I want to stop already. What's in your hand? It's a rod. It's an ordinary rod. It's a shepherd's stick. Found it over there. Been carrying it for 40 years. Had to replace it a couple times, but about the same thing. A six-foot rod of wood. It's about all I have. That and my sandwich, you know. Moses is coming up with more excuses as to why he shouldn't do what God's called him to do. Have you thought this through, Lord? I mean, I don't know how you come up with these questions, but if you notice throughout Scripture, every time a man or a woman is called, they start wondering, are you sure you got the right person? Are you sure they're gonna, it's going to work out like you said it's going to work out? There's a lot of doubting God. God doesn't call people and let them wallow around. And I, I don't know if, or I, we're both going to try it. Moses, I have no idea how this is going to work out. Step up. Let's just see what happens. Oh, that was ugly. That's not how God is. No, I've got a plan. I mean, it's been unfolding for 400 years, this plan's been longer than that. It's been unfolding since Eve. I'm going to raise up a, a deliverer from you, from your seed. Yeah, but what if they don't believe me? They didn't believe me last time. He's still dealing with that. Suppose they won't listen to my voice. They didn't listen last time. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. What if they doubt what I've seen? How are we going to convince these people? It's a hard sell. Now, what's ironic about this is, Moses is speaking to a burning bush that's not being consumed. An audible voice is coming in the middle of the desert, and he's not even convinced that this is a work of the Lord, even though it's God speaking to him directly. And so Moses is going off saying, I don't even know if I can convince these guys to believe me. God's still trying to get Moses to believe him. God has such great works for us. He has such great plans for us. He's called us to do such great things for him. We may be the deliverer that nobody ever gets the name, right? We may be the one that plants the seed where someone else waters and reaps the harvest, but there is such a great plan for each and every one of our lives, and he so wants us to believe him and to just follow him. And Would you just do it? Plants that, plant that seed. Is it going to grow? No, just plant the seed. I got another waterer coming later on, but... What if they don't water it? I mean, just plant the seed. Speak, open your mouth, share, live it. Walk the walk of being a Christian. Let people see the beauty of me in your life and what I've done for you. Let people know why it is your life's going the way it's going. How you get through those tough times. So even. And so God isn't mad yet. Okay, what do you have in your hand? And the point of that is because I can literally use whatever you have in your hand. I don't need special things. What do you have in your hand? A stick? That's not going to work. Anything else in that bag? Maybe the sandwich. 
when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000 and the disciples said, well, that's not going to work. I mean, how are we going to, same scenario. They realize that, well, they're, they're supposed to know they're walking with the son of God, the Messiah, full of miracles, raising people from the dead, cleansing lepers, healing blind people, seeing everything's going on. But how are we going to feed 5,000? Okay, I can raise people from the dead. It's not an issue. So Jesus says, what do you have? We've got a little boy's lunch over here, five loaves and two fish. Great. I can use that. Could have used rocks, but I'll use that. I think that's the answer for all of us. What do you have in your hand? How many ministries are on hold waiting for the right equipment? Oh, man, as soon as this comes in, you know, and that's when it's going to really break. I've, I've been a part of ministries like that. As soon as we get the radio station up and running, people are going to break down our doors. As soon as they, we get the radio going, 10 years later, we're going to get that radio going and we won't have five people anymore, or 10 people or 20 people. And we're really going to, God's really going to do a work as soon as we can spread the word through the radio. Okay. What do you have in your hand? How's my marriage going to fix? Well, as soon as, we, as soon as I find a new wife or as soon as I find a what, what do you have in your hand? Your work. Well, when I get this new job, no, what do you have in your hand? It's now, right now I've got stuff for you to do. People around you are lost and dying. Just look, the field is white and ready for harvest. Yeah, when I get to this place, or if I go to that place, or as soon as I get established here, that, so many excuses. My skill level, I don't know enough. As soon as I get my degree, then you can use me, God. No, you got a stick, that'll work, he says. And he said, cast it on the ground. Take that stick, that ordinary stick. Sounds like a magician, right? Well, it's kind of a trick. It's an ordinary stick. Come here, honey. Feel that. Yep, solid stick all the way through. Everybody agree it's a stick? Now throw it on the ground, Moses. Boom. So he cast it on the ground. It became a snake or serpent. And Moses fled from it. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now, I skipped that parenthetical statement. Let me read it with it in there now. Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it. It became a rod in his hand that they might believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So we got one thing. We're going to take that stick and make it a snake. And then he ran from it, six foot snake. A lot of you would run from a six foot snake. You don't know. Is it going to eat me? Who knows what he was thinking. What I find interesting about this section is that who he's trying to convince. Moses isn't so convinced about getting three million people away from Pharaoh, which you would think would be the bigger problem here. His concern is, what if they, who's they? What if Israel doesn't believe me? What if these three million people don't want to follow me out? Not how in the world am I going to convince Pharaoh, he says. How am I going to know? 
How are they going to believe? What? He says, use the rock, cast it on the ground, that they, the ones whose God is uh, of their fathers, Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Now, Egypt has no idea who this God is. God is giving him a, a, a thing to do to convince Israel that he's actually heard from the Lord and that Moses is the deliverer for them. And he's still trying to convince Moses. Moses still has to convince the people that they're, I'm the deliverer. I'm the one to save you from your current situation. The one you cried out for to God, here I am. An 80-year-old man who's been living in the desert. That they may believe. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. So stick it in your, you know, they got a robe on. It's kind of a thing. Stick it in here. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. I mean, so it wasn't like starting. It was like full-blown leprosy or Hansen's disease, we call it now. And at the time, at this time, there was no way to arrest Hansen's disease or leprosy. And although we can pause it or stop it, we can't cure people from it. They always carry that with them. It doesn't go away. And so he pulls his hand out, and it's white as snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Phew. That'd be interesting. I mean, I can't think of something. We don't know what Hansen's disease looks like. I don't think I've ever seen somebody who's leprous, leprous before. No, I don't want to Google that. That'd be probably a bad I want to see those images. Well, I was trying to think of something else. I mean, you can use your own imagination. Put your hand in and pull it out, and this has happened to it. <laughs> Nobody likes to see the side of their own blood. Some of you pass out, faint or a missing finger, or whatever could be the case. I mean, pull it, put it in your hand and pull it out, and there's nothing there, you know? So you got to get your mind where he is. Now put it back in, I restore it. Okay. That's a trick I don't want to do again, you know, because it requires a healing. Then it will be. He says, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. So I'm giving you two. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, the Nile, and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. So that's his third miracle that he can show them. Snake miracle, leprosy miracle, and water being turned to blood miracle. Hmm. Then Moses said to the Lord, after getting three miracles and witnessing all of them and participating in all of them, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. More excuses. I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but God just took credit for every physical infirmity. Who makes the deaf? Who makes the blind? We, we read the other parts, but did you pick up on that? No, 
I made the deaf person and I made the blind person. I made all of that. And what he's trying to get across to Moses is, your infirmity is not my problem. It's not a problem for me to overcome that. In fact, it makes you a weaker vessel, which makes me a stronger witness in your life. Nobody likes to think that way. I like all four of my legs and arms working. I like the dexterity. I hate it when something goes wrong or something's broken. I can't do what I used to do. I hate that. I think we all do. I remember when one of my kids broke their arm in the summer. Oh, great. I got a cast all you know summer long. Wonderful. Or a foot or whatever. Playing softball. I don't know how long ago that was. Running. As soon as I took off from home base because I needed to move it because I didn't hit it very far. It was my own fault. <clears throat> Something snappoed. Took me like a year and a half to, for that to finally stop. I had to lay on my stomach. I want sympathy. I had to lay on my stomach with my legs straight like this with the pillow here and here just so it wouldn't ache all night long so I could get some sleep. Nothing helped it. I don't like that when things don't work right. I don't like that. It makes me irritated, you know. Moses said, I'm slow of speech. I don't, I don't speak well. He says, it's not like I didn't know that, Moses. It's not like I didn't read your file before I picked you. God knows all these things. He knows you. He knows your infirmities. He knows your shortcomings. He, he's not concerned about that. It, honestly, Moses, it's never been about you. And honestly, we need to know that it's never been about us. We're never qualified. We're never good enough. We're never fast enough. We never speak eloquently enough. My goodness, God help us if it has to do with our eloquence to get people saved. To talk to people about Jesus. I mean, honestly, folks, I mean, I love you all, but we're, we've got problems. And so God takes credit for that. In John chapter 9, verses 2 through 3, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. He was born blind and had to live in a blind state all the way up to that moment where Jesus laid hands on him to heal him so that people would believe what he was saying by seeing the miracle of this man being healed. He was born that way. I don't know that I would accept that calling from God. Okay, you're going to be born about 20, well, maybe 10 years after Jesus is born. Okay, this kid gets born, he's born blind. But before I, I make you, I'm going to make you blind so that when Jesus comes along, he can heal you. And they're going to believe the words of the Messiah. Are you open to that kind of ministry? The 20-year-old blind ministry, you're going to be blind for 20 years. But Jesus is going to heal you, so you've got to wait a while, but you're going to be able to see eventually. But we want to do this so that Jesus' words, what he's sharing with people, is believed. And he takers, you know. Am I willing to be used by God in any way he wants to use me? I think we forget, and I forget, that I was bought with his blood. We, we say that. We even have plaques in our homes that said, bought with the blood of Jesus. Okay. If you were paid for, 
Can he spend you wherever he wants to spend you? Can he use you? Are you truly his possession that he could use here? Or if he doesn't like to use you here, use you here. Moses, you tried 40 years ago, hadn't called you yet, wasn't time yet. It was too early, not in my timing. We needed to wait for a few more things to happen. The children of Israel, their hearts weren't in the right place yet. I understand you hate oppression, but it wasn't time yet. So I sent you away, but boy, I kept my eye on you knowing that that's the guy because he hates oppression. And look at him go a little too soon, eager, eager Moses. So I put you over here to wander around the desert to give you training for later on what your mission is going to be. But I brought you back. I'm ready to bring you back. And we're going to do that thing that you wanted to do 40 years ago. Now you're ready to wander around for 40 years with 3 million people following you. All of it's part of his plan. That's a long plan. You're starting to get into the mind of Moses now where, oh my goodness, this has all been a part of it. You're preparing me. God takes credit for these things. I want to use you in this. I want to use that heartache, that difficulty, that problem you had to work out with me. Some of us have gone through some serious trials in our lives on purpose. And you've been brought through those trials through the love of Jesus, with Christ alongside of you, maybe with some doubt, maybe with some tears, maybe with some anger even, but you've come through those tunnels to the other end with the Lord still intact. You're still walking with Jesus. And it wasn't just about getting through the trial. It was about preparing you for what you're going to do now, helping other people. You can speak to things that nobody else can speak to because you've experienced it through Jesus. Just when I begin to whine about my pulled rear end from softball, you come across someone like Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic, wonderful, beautiful woman of God. (laughs) I'm sure she has her days. Who wouldn't? has to be taken care of. Everything has to be done. Her husband's just a wonderful man, helps her. But she has stopped praying for healing. She's accepted what God's given her, and she's using it. And she has a a platform, a ministry that speaks to hundreds of thousands of people, including me, who has the use of all of his arms and legs and Keeps me from grumbling as you see this beautiful woman, makeup on, hair done every single day, dressed, but has to use her mouth to move around. She paints, for goodness sakes. Look her up if you don't know who she is. She paints with her mouth, and I mean, she can paint. Not like doodle. God uses our infirmities, our sicknesses, our trials, our difficulties, our handicaps, we might call them. It's all right. God says, I I made you that way on purpose. So don't use those for excuses anymore. But he said, after he said, didn't I make your mouth that way? Don't you think I knew that about you? Moses says, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. I mean, and that's the point. That's what all of this has been about. Okay, okay. Okay, okay, look, would you just send somebody else? I mean, honestly, God, I pass. 
I'm not interested. I was interested 40 years ago. They didn't believe me. I understand you want to do great work. I hope it works out for you. Would you send anybody else other than me? And that's the point. And that's when God gets mad. And I pay attention to those moments. When I see my Father in heaven, whom I love, whom I say all these wonderful things about, teach all these wonderful things about, when I see him get mad in Scripture, I want to know what made him mad. Because it will make him mad today, just like it made him mad back then. And it's when I come up with excuse after excuse, pity party after pity party, as to why I'm not doing it anymore. They, well, they didn't like it last time, and I'm not going to do it anymore. I tried. I did it. I did it. But they didn't like it. So no, you know. And he gets upset with him. And I'll take it a step further. Um, when I come to that place where I say, Oh, Lord, I'm so inadequate. I'm so unworthy. I'm just not worthy to be your servant. I'm not worthy to, oh, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal strap. I read that somewhere. I think John said it. I'm not a, I'm not a sandal strap untier either. And eventually, God's going to say, you know what? I knew all that beforehand. Yes, we both agree. You're worthless. Now get up and do what I ask you to do, you know? Get up and do what I asked you to do. It's never been about you. It's not about your worthiness. Quit being so, that false piety can make him mad. Look, we're called to do something. Go do it. Yeah, fine. Go through the gymnastics if you want to in your mind. I'm unworthy. I'm not, oh God. I'm not, no, no, no. Whatever. Are you done yet? Now go do what I asked you to do. There are people dying, going to hell. Both are true. Did I buy you at a price? If I did, then I'm going to spend you today. It's my turn. It's what I want to do with you. You're unworthy? Fine. I'm glad you know it. I hope you sincerely know it someday. But then go do what I asked you to do. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? He knows how to talk, doesn't he? I know he can speak. That's important. I know that he can speak well, he says in Scripture. I've been looking over the whole earth. I understand Aaron is a really good talker, and you're not, and yet I chose you. Do you want to know why? Because he's going to make a golden calf in a little bit out of earrings. He's going to lead all my people, although he can speak well, away from me. He's going to make an idol when I specifically told you not to make an idol. That's why I didn't pick the eloquent speaker over here, and I spoke the whatever you think you are. Because your heart's right. You're going to give me glory. You're, you're humble. You're a meek man. Aaron, he's going to do whatever the crowd tells him to do. That's why I didn't pick him. But fine. Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? Yeah. Well, I know he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, uh, which you shall do the signs. And then we have this gap, so Moses. He didn't even wait for a response. Okay, fine, you can't talk well. Aaron's your brother, right? Of course he is. And he can speak well, right? Great. So you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to do that. I'll see you in Egypt. I'm done talking about it. 
What's amazing to me is he doesn't just say, fine, I'm going to pick somebody else. He wants to use Moses. I want you for this job. I have one job. I've been watching you. I've been waiting 40 years for them to be ready. You've been learning your thing. I know you've been bitter. I know you've been working things out, but you haven't. And that's what we're talking about right now. But I want to bring you in now. And you need to get over all this stuff because I knew that you weren't a good... I mean, this conversation is so genuine and so familiar sometimes, you know? Keep coming up with excuses. Uh, I'm very thankful that as I watch this progression in this conversation, as Moses finally comes out and says, would you just pick somebody else, please? I don't want to go. God says, no, I'm not letting you off the hook. I am not letting you off the hook. You're going to go do what I asked you to do. All right. Hmm. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law. So you understand he's got a flock of sheep. He's been staring at a bush for a long time. I got to take him back before I go. So he takes him back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. Normally, maybe that's just what he needed to say to him. He didn't want to tell him the whole deal. Maybe he wanted to say, Jethro, I, just, I heard from God on the burning bush. It was an amazing thing. And he told me all these things. He just wanted to say, can I go check on my brethren and see if they're still around? Maybe. Or maybe that's just his attitude as he leaves. I'm just going to go see if they're still alive. Could be dead. I don't know. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Jethro's kind of on board. Yeah. Yeah, you've been watching my sheep for 40 years. Yeah. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. You don't have to worry about them. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Now it's the rod of God. I suppose, yeah. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hands. So not only those guys, I want you to do this in front of Pharaoh, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn, underline that. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So he gives Moses a little more insight as to how this is all going to go down. We are going to the land of milk and honey. We learned that last week in chapter 3. But it isn't going to be as easy as walking in and walking out. He's not going to hear you. He's going to, I'm going to harden his heart. He's going to get to that place where he doesn't want to receive. He doesn't want to do what I've asked him to do. He's not going to be on board with this. Just so you're aware, there's going to be a work done here. So that you can say to him, Israel is my son, my firstborn. That is how God has always seen this family line. Ever since Adam and Eve, we've been following that through Scripture. Remember, we're watching a, gene a genealogy, a specific one. Adam and Eve, and we got to the, the boat, and we see Noah, and we see that, and we're still following along. Once in a while, we'll trail off and see what other people are doing in the world, but for the most part, we are focused on the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to tell Pharaoh that when I see Israel, I see my son. 
That's how important this is. And I want him to know how important it is. You know how you feel about your firstborn son? That's how I feel about this whole group of people. So if you do anything to this group of people, imagine if someone was doing that to your own son. I'm not going to let you beat him anymore. I'm not going to let you use slave labor anymore. I'm not going to let you kill him and starve him to death anymore. I'm done with it. I'm responding as a father to these people like you would respond as a father to your son. Make sure he understands that. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Eventually, Israel will see themselves as the family of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Eventually, they don't now. Make sure that he knows that. Verse 24, and it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Moses, after all of this, they're on their way, families with him, left Jethro. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, surely you are a husband of blood to me. So we let him go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. What's that all about? This is God's law. It's a rule he set up a long time ago. I want you to circumcise your kids, your boys. You need to circumcise them. He said that a long time ago. Okay? Moses, although called, although he's the deliverer, he's the one that's been waited for for 80 years now. And it's even time now, and there are three million people waiting for a deliverer, and yet God is willing to halt the whole operation because the one whom he chose is not being obedient to his word. The the magnificence of this statement, of this moment right here, is huge. Nobody is above God's word. Not even Moses, who's been all those things I just said. Nobody's above his word. Everybody needs to obey the Lord, and I need my servants to obey me. I say that because obedience is going out the window in a lot of ways in the church. There's this, oh well, it's, I plead the blood of Jesus over my sins. Jesus covers my sins. Of course he does, but that doesn't give us the right to continue in them. To obey his word, so important. I've magnified my word above my name, he says in Scripture. It's a big deal. Now, why is she so upset? Well, apparently the Midianites, this is what I read, would do an adult circumcision. And so there must have been something there. They decided not to circumcise the boys, but her whole household had circumcised. They were the obedient of God. We know that from Jethro. But they did it later on. And maybe that's maybe their tradition is because that's what happened. You know, later, they waited till the people were older and they, and they did that. And so they got that tradition. But she grew up in her house where, no, we don't do that to babies. We wait till they're older. And Moses is like, no, we, we need to do this right away. But I don't want to argue about it. I don't want to be in any trouble. I don't really care. Let's just let it go. I don't, it's better to just live in peace than to argue this point about being obedient to God. 
That's a danger for families. It's a danger when one really feels convicted about going in this direction to be obedient to God. We need to do this. We need to do more of this. We, I really feel like, and the other partner's not on board yet. The spouse is like, oh, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's okay. I mean, I think it's all right. I just really feel this burden like we're supposed to. I don't know. Well, somewhere along the line, they decide to just compromise and to just, just for the peace sake. It's a danger, folks. A lot of wives, I don't mean to pick on wives, but I'm going to pick on the wives because she's, she's the wife who's the problem here, it seems like. I want my husband saved. I want him to walk with the Lord. He just doesn't know God. He doesn't, he doesn't obey. I'm reading the word. I'm discovering so much about it. Well, strap on and hold on, ladies, because when God saves your husband, he may be taking you on a ride to obedience. We're going to church Sundays and Wednesdays. Oh, e- easy killer, you know. I just wanted you saved, kind of saved, fire insurance saved. Wednesday nights, you know, pinochle night or whatever it might be. We're getting rid of the TV, honey. I'm kicking it out the door. It's nothing but a, a trap for me. Every time football comes on, there I am just sitting there. And I remember how many times I ignored the kids and told them to go away and told you to go get me a beer. I'm, I'm done with it all. I'm following Jesus. Let's throw the TV out the window. Easy, easy, easy. The view's on. That can go both ways. I don't mean to pick on ladies. It can go with the guys too. Oh, please let my wife see Jesus. That TV's nothing but a. What about the Packers? I, I, Dallas, where's. Yeah, well, whatever your team is. What about KC, the Chiefs? It's nothing but another God. It's another idol. It's not an idol. I just want peace, so compromise. Compromise is a funny thing when it comes to the Lord. There isn't such a thing. There isn't such a thing. Moses just compromised, and I don't know if you can make a doctrine out of this. I won't, but I can certainly see the argument for having the perfect will of God and the permissible will of God. The perfect will of God, you, Moses, go like I called you to go and tell Egypt that you're going to let my people go. Tell them who sent you. Do those wonderful miracles. Argue, 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 argue. Fine, then I'm going to have Aaron do it with you. Permissible. Compromise is ugly. And it's going to hurt because Aaron is going to be left in charge thinking, well, he's the number two guy while I'm up getting the Ten Commandments and he's going to lead them all into idolatry. Compromise is like having a beautiful cake or ice cream or something and mixing it with dog feces. 50-50, 50-50, equal parts. Anybody want to take a bite? Guess which is going to stand out more? Heard that today. Thought I could incorporate that into the teaching tonight. Compromise is ugly and it doesn't work ever. Now when it comes to Jesus Christ, we're all in. You're a husband of blood to me. Verse 27, and the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So apparently everything's good. And by the way, we don't hear about his wife for chapters now. She stays with Jethro. He was going to bring his family to Egypt, but ends up leaving her behind with Jethro. Okay. 
so that he can go do. That's, it works out. Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Uh, so God speaks to Aaron, go, go meet your brother. Mm, all right. So he goes. So he went out and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord uh, who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Look at this. Leprosy, no leprosy. Leprosy, snake, stick, snake, stick, you know. And Aaron's like, that's awesome. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. So they get back there and they start sharing. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. So they got Israel on board. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. Wouldn't that be great if we could just stop there? And they all walked into the promised land and they knocked down Jericho and it was just a just skip the next 40 years. You know? Oh. It's like, they're, it's like we're watching them get saved. Oh, look at them. I mean, they're just worshiping the Lord. And then they get to thinking. Remember the leeks and the onions we're going to hear later on. Oh, that we were back in Egypt and so on. But that's where we are tonight. And that's where we leave off tonight. So the people believed. They believed him. In other words, the miracles were designed for the people to know that he had heard from God the words. And the words that Moses shared through Aaron could be believed. It's the only point of the miracles. Nobody cares about sticks and snakes. Nobody cares about leprosy and healing. What we care about is, will you believe God's word? And they did. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to hold it, read it, handle it. Anytime we want. We know you've called us to be your ambassadors, to be your witnesses, to be your children, to walk in obedience to you, God. We accept that. We thank you for that, Lord. I pray that this week as we walk in obedience to you, as we hear your calls, we see divine opportunities to share your word with people that don't know you at all or maybe don't even know your word or even know the Bible or scriptures. We're able to share with them by the power of your Holy Spirit We'll be obedient and we just do it and not argue and say, I don't have time. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I don't know enough yet. I'm still studying. I'm still, that we just share what we know. Share what you told us. It's all you've ever asked any of your servants to do. Just tell them what I told you. No more, no less. God, help us to be good, faithful witnesses, only sharing what we know with those whom you put in our path. And just watch this beautiful work unfold of yours. We love you. Bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.